say something to break the ice Let's knock commiseration over how the ice breaks so quickly now Welcome to the Behind the Scenes episode where we'll talk about the making of love in the time of climate change. And thank you all for sticking around and supporting us throughout this journey. So last year at the end of the Intersections Festival in February 2020, when we performed the play on stage, people asked me what the next steps were for the play. And at the time, I didn't know it would be a podcast series. So to those that asked the question, here's the answer. Yeah, who would have thought that when we performed, it would have been our last time together and able to perform in front of an audience? Yeah, we were actually so lucky to have had the chance to perform one last time right before everything shut down. So I have a confession, Rosina. I was totally hoping this would be my big break and I could just quit my job and start acting full time. (laughs) Well, maybe we can take this to the big screen. So if there's anyone out there that knows anyone in the movie biz, please connect us. Well, there are only six degrees of separation between me and Kevin Bacon, so someone's got to know someone. (laughs) Way to be an optimist, Albert. (laughs) So how did you find such a fitting theme song for this play? I prefer this song over the Earth song by Little Dicky. Yeah, this song is so fitting, right? And for some context, for those that didn't see the live play, we had a part in scene one where the main character shows the audience how she can play the exact song that matches her exact mood at the exact time she wants. And it just so happened Earth by Lil Dicky had come out, so we had her Googled home device play a clip of Earth to which she replies, you know there's a climate catastrophe when even Lil Dicky is singing about it. Yeah, so don't sue us, Lil Dicky. And in other scenes, Lizzo, Mark Anthony... Katy Perry, and others. This was totally for educational purposes. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely had a lot of catchy pop tunes in our play. Back to your question about the song Solastalgia that we used for the podcast. It came to us a little serendipitously, actually. A friend of mine who saw the play back in July of 2019 told me months later her roommate was singing a song that reminded her of the play. And when I connected with my friend's roommate, I couldn't believe how perfect the song was. So shout out to Abby Peralt, who wrote and sang this beautiful, totally bespoke song. Thank you so much for allowing us to use it. We've received so many compliments on it. Yeah, definitely check out her work on her Bandcamp page. We'll link it in our show notes. And one thing I'll say here is that we always pronounced it solastalgia, but Abby's pronunciation was solastalgia. So we tried to modify it for this podcast series, but there were a few times when we were pronouncing it in two different ways. Tomato, tomato, solastalgia, solastalgia. It's all the same. (laughs) So Rosina, you shared the story of how the play came about with me, but For those who haven't heard it, could you share with the listeners how you came to write and produce Love in the Time of Climate Change? Sure. Well, as someone who is not a theater person, I've never done theater in high school or anything. This definitely started off as a joke. I was hanging out with a friend and Trump had just done something disastrous. (laughs) Seriously, when was Trump not doing something disastrous? Yeah, sad, but true. So he had rolled back in environmental protection, and I was complaining about how it just felt like it was game over for the planet. And my friend, who's an immigrant, a DREAMer, a DACA recipient, which stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, 
definitely understood the severity of Trump's action, but then complained that she felt like it was game over for her and that she might get deported. You know, as much as people want to care about existential problems like climate change, often they're dealing with more immediate problems, though they may be linked. And that's just where their focus is. And so, of course, my friend and I were commiserating about all the world's problems. And then somehow we started talking about how terrible dating was as well. At the time, we were both two single women living in D.C. and sharing our recent dating disaster stories. And we just kind of lamented about everything. And then she came up with this idea of getting married because same-sex marriage is now legal. And that way she'd be able to stay in the country. And we just laughed and decided that wasn't a bad idea. Obviously, that didn't happen. And we're not trying to make light of this struggle for LGBTQ rights. We're very much in solidarity. I just kind of made a comment that day about how I should write a sitcom about us. And so that's how the idea was born. And then I went to a Fringe Festival performance in 2018 with a couple friends and came out thinking maybe I should attempt to write a play. And I learned that 40% of Fringe plays were done by first timers. So a few months later, I decided to submit my idea. And I was definitely making up responses to questions like how long the runtime was and how big the cast was because I did not have a script at the time. Oh, wow. I didn't think I realized you submitted the idea pre-script, which is crazy. I knew there were a few script versions, but I just didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. So when I got the response that the play was selected, I legit asked the question of, OK, now what? Should I withdraw? <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. And by that time, I had a script version and I had a friend who read it Um her feedback was, and I quote, um, I don't know, this feels awkward. <laughs> More like awkward. <laughs> so I wanted to use that in one of our past episodes with Taiki. And to recap, Taiki is a birder. And I was trying to insert bird puns, but sometimes it's intimidating to bring up my troll jokes. So here's my attempt to redeem myself in saying awkward. Get it? Awkward? Hawk? and awkward. Hashtag bird jokes. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Albert, for bringing the comic relief. I don't know if your joke is more awkward or if my script version was more awkward. Um, so of course, I considered withdrawing because I didn't know what to do with her feedback. And the storyline at that time was around two main characters. It was definitely a little all over the place. I think I even had a choose your own adventure where the audience could choose the ending, which in retrospect, I think was a creative idea, but I decided to restructure it and center it around just one character. It was getting closer to having a cohesive storyline with elements that I wanted to touch on. And I must give credit where it's due. My roommate at the time, Samsha Ali, was very encouraging. She read through my many script versions. She was a great sounding board. Even when I had to pay the fees to participate in the Fringe Festival, I questioned if I should pay in small amounts so that if I decided not to go through with it, it wouldn't be a big loss. And my roommate made me pay in full so that I would go through with it. <laughs> yes, definitely a great roommate. And um happy you didn't choose the choose your own adventure. <laughs> I definitely agree. It is very creative, but <laughs> as a first time actor, 
it was already challenging enough just trying to figure out what is stage left, stage right, <laughs> I be projecting, is, am I yelling, what's the appropriate clothing I should be wearing for this scene. <laughs> Yeah, so we did not go with that choose your own adventure, but maybe maybe we'll bring it back in another form somehow. And also that friend who said that the script was awkward definitely helped a lot backstage and helped with bringing the play to life. Yeah, sometimes you just need the negative realistic perspective and the encouraging optimistic perspective to push you to do something outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, I definitely think that was the key that helped make this project happen. Okay, so that's the idea behind the play. What about the cast? Yes, oh my gosh. Finding a cast was definitely harder than I thought it would be. And mind you, I was still finalizing the script. And I think it was by April that I decided we need to start rehearsals if we're going to be ready by July. So we did find a few great actors. Shout out to that original cast. But there were a few roles that we just could not find. Like I literally went through my Rolodex trying to recruit one actor. And if I recall, it was one of the male roles. Yes. Good men are hard to find, whether in real life or for the play. (laughs) And didn't that one actor just like disappear? Oh my goodness. That was so stressful. For two weeks, this guy just didn't respond to my calls, texts, emails, Yeah, just call it what it is. He just totally ghosted you. (laughs) Yes, he must really have been trying to get into character or something. I, of course, was so stressed, but also worried. And in addition to all of the clocks ticking, uh, the play clock was very much ticking as well. (laughs) Oh, gosh, this is stressing me out. Even after the fact that we've already performed this play in front of a live audience, just (laughs) hearing it out is giving me flashbacks. Tell me about it. Then two weeks later, he appears and he just nonchalantly says he was out of the country. And I was both livid, but also relieved. But then when he did show up to practice, and now we're like a month out from our first performance, he didn't have a single line memorized. I remember that vividly. After rehearsal that day, you said you were just considering playing that role for yourself. (laughs) Yes. Um, But luckily in those two weeks when he had disappeared and I was reaching out to people trying to convince someone to act in the play, you know, I think I even agreed to a date or two in hopes of recruiting an actor. Talk about dedication. Luckily, my friend Alan, shout out here to Alan McQuinn. He said he was interested in acting, but he was only available for four out of five of our performances. And I was like, great, let's do it. We'll figure out that fifth performance. And he was so wonderful. He had most of his lines memorized by the first rehearsal that he came to. And oh my gosh, it was such a sigh of relief. And then he recruited that intern from your job to act in the play who like never showed up for rehearsal. Oh my gosh, yes. Well, luckily he pulled through as well. Um, all in all, it was definitely stressful, but somehow it all worked out. And also the thing about DC people is that everyone is so busy and have a lot of things constantly going on, or as Isla likes to say, they're flighty and flaky. I don't think we ever had the entire cast together for a single rehearsal until our first time on stage, which was our first and only dress rehearsal right before the play. 
And that was another story as well. That dress rehearsal, which was at the church where our performance was, the lights and sound all went out because of a recent flood. Thanks, climate change directly impacting our performance. Seriously, it was very on brand for the show. So the lights and sound and everything just went out during our dress rehearsal the hour before our performance. It was a very wild ride all in all. Thank you for sharing that. And I just love listening to the story. Maybe your next play should be the making of love in the time of climate change in the time of climate change. I have plenty of material for that. So Rosina, what were some of the biggest lessons learned from the play? I think the biggest lesson is that the play showed me that there's an appetite for climate education that is entertaining. People came, they laughed, they learned something. And at many of our performances, people met with CCL volunteers and were able to take action. So I think we need to continue to get creative with how we talk about climate change and how other people can get involved. The other thing I think is how can we continue to put a human face to climate change in a way that people will understand that this is a serious issue right now. Right. The Marisol character, for instance, comes to mind, especially in one of the scenes where she is you know, Zooming with her parents back home. And of course, she wants to be present for this wedding. But because she had DACA, she couldn't visit her parents. So definitely tough. Yeah. And I do think, you know, perhaps we could have built that storyline out a little bit more, but it was an attempt to showcase this climate migration link through a personal view. So how did the podcast idea come about? Well, 2020 seems to be the year that a lot of people picked up podcasting. So I guess I joined that trend as well. Initially, I didn't have the plan to recreate the play through the series. I just thought we would talk about the issues that were brought up in the play. But then I figured we could try to record the play. And if it sounded good, we would use it and, you know, then continue to have the post-play conversations. I naively thought that we'd gather the cast and spend an hour or two doing the recording. That obviously was more like 30 or 40 hours juggling people's availabilities, tech issues, sound quality, editing, all of it. That by the time we recorded the play and all the efforts of our audio editors, Jen and Hannah, I couldn't not use it. And, you know, I think this was a more creative type of podcast. So I'm glad that we went with that idea. And I hope it was enjoyable for our listeners. And I think we all were able to learn so much from the guests as well. Well, I definitely enjoyed relieving the play and the opportunity to interview all these amazing professionals. This was such a treat for me as well. Yes. Thank you again to all of our wonderful guests. Albert, earlier you asked about lessons learned from the play. My biggest lesson from the podcast is to invest in a good microphone, which I did not. Sorry to our listeners. <laughs> I definitely second that investment. So what's next for love in the time of climate change and for Ecologic? Our listeners want to know. Well, one of the salient themes from the play, which we talk about, is the importance of community. And so for Ecologic, we're continuing to build that community through our programming. 
We want to not only bring people into the movement, but foster a sense of community as we provide ways for people to take action. We have virtual events planned and hopefully in-person events and retreats are coming soon. We will start hosting chats on Clubhouse. So if you liked the commentary here, join us there. And we're always open to collaborating with others and continuing to think creatively about the types of programming we can offer. So check us out, reach out, and of course, donate if you can. Look at us trying to stay hip with Clubhouse. (laughs) (laughs) And what did I say last time? Ecologic is single and ready to mingle? (laughs) Yes. And as for love in the time of climate change, I have some sequel ideas. As someone who loves happy endings, I just need to know if Isla finds romance in the end. We're just left with this cliffhanger, so I definitely need and I want more. (laughs) You and me both still wondering if Isla ever finds that romantic love. Stay tuned, I guess. (laughs) Well, Rosina, this has been so much fun. Thank you for including me in this podcast project. I just can't wait to see what's next for Ecologic and the future of Love in the Time of Climate Change. Well, likewise. Thank you so much for joining me, Albert, and for being my co-host. And before we end, one more shout out to our amazing audio engineers, Jennifer Hauck and Hannah Lebowitz-Lockard. Thank you both so much. And thank you to our listeners for sticking with us. We hope you enjoyed the journey. Thank you all. We love you. We hope to connect with you all in person soon. Bye. Bye. And that wraps up Love in the Time of Climate Change, brought to you by Ecologic. This play was read by Emily Collins, Rosina Conchwala, Caroline Howe, Suleiman Guadri, Nayeli Paleo, Albert Arevalo, Alan McQuinn, and Carmen Hernandez. Hannah Leibowitz-Lockard and Jennifer Howe are our audio editors. The theme song, Soul Nostalgia, was written and sung by Abby Peralt. Podcast graphic was designed by Fatima Nota. It's not you, it's me, and these rising seas just some miles to last. Thanks a lot for listening. If you want to show your support, please subscribe to this podcast, share this podcast on social media, and find us on Instagram or Facebook at eco.logic.programs. Subscribe to our newsletter, check out the show notes, and give us a rating or review.